Nazareth, a city in the rural province of Galilee, the heavenly messenger Gabriel made another appearance. This time, the messenger was sent by God to meet with a virgin named Mary, who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David himself. The messenger entered her home. Greetings. You are favored and the Lord is with you. Among all women on the earth, you are blessed. The heavenly messenger's words baffled Mary, and she wondered what type of greeting this was. Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Listen, you're going to become pregnant, you're going to have a son, and you must name him Savior, or Jesus. Jesus will become the greatest among humankind. He'll be known as the Son of the Highest God. God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the family of the house of Jacob forever. Uh, look, I'm engaged and all, but we've never, uh, you know, how can this be possible? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. Are you getting my drift? You don't have to, uh, you know. That's why this holy child will be known as not just your son, but also as the Son of God. Sounds impossible, but listen. You know, your relative Elizabeth has been unable to bear children and is now far too old to be a mother, yet even she has become pregnant. As God willed it, yes, in three months she will have a son. So the impossible is totally possible with God. And the heavenly messenger was gone. Mary immediately got up and hurried into the hill country in the province of Judah, where her cousins Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. When Mary entered their home and greeted Elizabeth, who felt her baby leap in her womb, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You are blessed, Mary, blessed among all women, and the child you bear is blessed, and blessed am I as well, that the mother of my Lord has come to see me. And as soon as I heard your voice greet me, my baby leaped with joy. How fortunate you are, Mary, that you believed what the Lord told you would be fulfilled. And Mary's response was this. As you have said, let it be done to me. An unusual way, but the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We wanted you to hear this in a little bit different way because it becomes easy for us when we hear this story every single year, particularly if those of us who were raised in the church and we read the Christmas story every year to forget the details and the magnitude of what is happening. Here is a young woman, more than likely a teenager, anywhere between 14 or 15 and certainly not much older than 18 years old, who has not yet become married. She's from a good family, a good and righteous family, and now she is pregnant out of wedlock, which was an enormous deal at that time. We talked last week about Elizabeth and the fact that she was too old to have children, and yet she is going to have a child, and how unbelievable those things would be. If you're like me, it may seem a little bit odd that we talk about this story and the angel's visit to Mary on the week that we talk about more peace. What's peaceful about being involved in the middle of a scandal 
what will look like a family crisis, what could literally cost Mary her life, and more than likely did cost her family their reputation and their community. You see, in that day and time, if you were not married and you came up pregnant, now she's betrothed, which means she's engaged, which means there's a legal contract that her parents are now raising her until her husband takes her to his house. But she's considered his. She's not free to see anybody else, to marry anybody else. And so this is an act of adultery. It is scandal. And she could be stoned for this. She could be literally put to death. Or, if Joseph wanted to be a little bit merciful, he could just put her away privately. He could quietly divorce her. But now she's that woman. The one who couldn't even be faithful until she got married. Who had a child out of wedlock. Who else is going to want to marry her? And I'm not so sure that adding the story of an immaculate conception on top of that would have made her more marriageable. I think it would have made others in the area think not only can she not be faithful, but she's crazy. And yet, this is the story we're going to talk about on the week of peace. You see, peace comes with acceptance of what is. Did you notice that Mary asked a question the same way that Zacharias did last week? Zacharias went, okay, I don't know how that's going to be possible because like we're old. Mary goes, I don't know how that's possible because I'm pretty young. But she very quickly moves to, well, okay, let it be unto me as you have said, let it be so. It's an amazing act of faith on the part of a young woman for whom this call of God places an enormous and tremendous jeopardy. Last week, I love the fact that our sermon series talks about Zechariah freaking out over the news. Even after the angel explains it to him, he still can't get it. And Gabriel goes, well, you know what? I'm not going to let you keep speaking doubt. I'm not going to let you keep, keep questioning that. I'm, you're just going to be silent until this happens. Because what I'm telling you is what's going to happen is going to happen. Mary comes on board with the idea much more quickly. So I wonder, is it easier for young people to make that leap of faith into what God is calling us to do? To step into new things? To consider that the impossible might be possible with God? Than those of us who've been around a little while? Do all those years of not seeing the impossible happen do all those years of not seeing a miracle begin to taint us to the possibility that miracles are still possible? That God can and will do the impossible? Part of me would like to say it, it is their youth, their lack of experience that makes them think that's possible. But I wonder if sometimes we don't just give up our hope like we talked about last week. And when we surrender our hope to the messages of the world, then we're disconcerted by all that goes on in the world instead of being at deep peace with what God is doing in us and through us, even when it looks impossible, even if it looks like the outcome could be impossible. Did you know that fear is the opposite of peace? 
because fear disconcerts us. And when we want peace and we're afraid we're not going to be able to achieve it, do you know what we do? We go into denial. We want to act like what's happening around us is not really happening. We want to pretend it cannot happen, it is not happening, and so I don't have to face any of it as happening. And living in denial can be deadly. I don't know about you, but there, there's a show on TV that follows women who don't know they're pregnant until they go into labor. Now, having given birth to two children, I always go, how in the world? Because I gained a little weight. A baby did some kicking. I had some contractions. But many of those women had some reason to not believe that they could be pregnant. Either they were very young, they hadn't been pregnant before, or there was a medical condition, or there was an age, or some reason that they didn't think they could be pregnant, and so they denied the symptoms they saw. We can do that. We can look around at the world around us and the changes and the situations and then just want to do like the ostrich and put our head in the sand and not look at them. I'll just deny that any of that's happening and I'll go on just like I always have and it will be fine. But the thing is, it's not fine. Because what's happening is still happening. We don't get peace from ignoring and denying. We get peace from accepting what is and trusting that God is in what is happening. I've said before, it does not mean that everything that happens is good, but it means that God works in everything to try to bring good out of it, in spite of it, through it. God is with us. And so there can be peace in the midst of a storm because God is with us. It's literally the meaning of one of Jesus' names. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means God is with us. God put on a human body and came here to say, I'm with you. I'm always with you. And the model we get in Advent is a young girl in the midst of a scandal who says, you're with me. And if you're with me, I'm on board. Let it be to me what it is that you want done. I wonder if instead of waiting on things to become more peaceful, if we chose to become the more peace in the midst of the storm. When we go through pastoral care training um, in seminary or in a program here in North Alabama that we call the Pastoral Care Specialist Program, they talk to us a lot about being a non-anxious presence in a room. We very often need to be the calmest person in the room. The problem is we don't always feel like the calmest person in the room, but they give us training about how to try to make it back to our peaceful place, how to be non-anxious, to take a deep breath, to remind ourselves that God is with us. And sometimes we need to do that every minute in a conversation, in a meeting, in a crisis. Sometimes in the world we live in, maybe we need to do it every day. But sometimes we certainly need to do it every week as we come into God's presence 
remind us you're with us. What we're facing seems impossible. But if you're with us, you've told us nothing is impossible with you. This becomes our opportunity to experience that more peace. And then we saw those to whom the message came become the messengers. Mary gets a message about her life and about Elizabeth's life, and she goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has a message for her, and Mary has a message back to Elizabeth, and Mary has a message for the world. Because that's what happens when we encounter God. We receive a message, and we become carriers of that message. As believers, that is our role, to carry the message of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us, to all the places where there is not more hope, and not more peace, and not more love, and not more joy, and the hashtag do not be afraid does not apply. It becomes our job to take that there, to say, I do have hope. Doesn't look real great right now, but I believe that God is working all things together for good. Because we have responded to His call. And so we will be loving and joyful and peaceful and hopeful regardless of the circumstances. And the peace that we experience is not always the peace as the way the world wants to describe it. The world wants to describe peace as the absence of war. Well, that may be peacetime, but peace goes much deeper than just the absence of conflict or war. Peace is a deep and abiding sense that all is as it should be or will be as it should be. In the Hebrew, they call that shalom. That deep peace of God that can be present with us. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world leaves. No. But my peace, Jesus' peace is different. Jesus doesn't always calm our storms. But He's right there with us in the storm. He tells us, do not be afraid of the storm. The God who created the water and the winds and the clouds is right there with you and will bring you through. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But I want you to notice in the messages to Elizabeth and from Mary to the world that peace and justice go hand in hand. Elizabeth prophesied at the very sight of Mary and said her baby leapt in her womb. Something amazing is happening here. And then Mary opens her mouth and gives this beautiful statement. It's in Luke chapter 1. I want us to hear it. We also notice in Scripture that the whole story of the angel coming to Mary gets told again. We just experienced it and now we repeat it. Have y'all noticed that sometimes we're hard of listening? I began to use that phrase when my children were little. Because they weren't hard of hearing. Their ears worked just fine. It was the paying attention, the hearing that was the problem. They were hard of 
listening. Sometimes we are hard of listening. We don't see and hear what God is doing the first time. So God repeats himself. Do you know how many times it says do not be afraid in Scripture? Depending upon exactly how you count it, if you need the exact phrase, anywhere from 176 to 365 times. If there are 365 times, there is one for every single day. Do you think we need to be have repeated to us that we're not supposed to be afraid? That we don't have to be afraid? We get the story repeated and that becomes our refrain. We sometimes have to repeat the story of God's love and grace over and over and over to ourselves and to others. And then Mary, she opens her mouth This young woman who has now experienced two miracles. Her own pregnancy and that of her older cousin. And she opens her mouth and this is Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55. Mary says, with all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors Him as God. And we often stop right there in our Advent readings and our Christmas Eve stories We need to go on and hear what else this young girl says. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. All that was wrong is put right. God balances the scales. He makes things right. His coming into the world brings justice. And that justice brings peace. But this part gets a little on our toes and a little in our face and a little uncomfortable because what if we might be put in the category of the rich? Or what if we're among those who aren't hungry and others are? And we see all of this. Notice Mary said it in the past tense. He has. He has shown mercy. He has pulled down. He did everything just as he promised he would do. He brings peace. He sends that message to us in Jesus Christ and he sends us to be that message for the world. To bring true and lasting peace by carrying that love and that hope to the world where there is no hope of justice, of being filled, of no longer being hungry, of no longer being oppressed, God says, this 
That's not how I created the world. Don't blame that on me. Because when I come, I bring mercy. And I bring love. And I bring peace. And I bring joy. I bring righteousness and justice to the world. And that, my friends, becomes our job as well. To take that lasting peace, to advocate for solutions, for better, because we are supposed to be the kingdom of God on earth now until it comes in its fullness when He comes back. We don't just wish people peace on earth and good tidings to men of goodwill. We wish people Shalom, the deep peace of God, that all would be right and as it is created to be. We first experience it within ourselves and then we take it to the world around us. No matter how impossible it looks, nothing is impossible with God. No matter how little hope, there is hope because God is always with us. And no matter how little peace we think there is, the peace of God is ours through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty, gracious, and loving God, draw us unto Yourself. Help us connect with Your message to not be afraid. Remind us that nothing is impossible with you, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Sustainer. Help us to experience more hope and more peace, whatever goes on around us. For you are our God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.